This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. For a long time, it was thought the oldest human ornaments dated back no more than 43,000 years, and this was in Eastern Europe and Asia Minor. However, a comparatively recent study of shell beads in the Blombos Cave near Stilby suggests that the first jewellery is actually 30,000 years older than that. Why is it that humans have an innate characteristic to create beauty out of their natural environment? To answer this question, I talked to uh, artist uh, Kevin Friedman, who himself is constantly making beautiful pieces of adornment. Kevin, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks, Sharice. It's wonderful to be here. Um, Sharice, that find was absolutely revolutionary in the whole world of antiquities, history, and historical um, kind of experience because what they found was they found little holes drilled into the hole into the into the shells so seeing the that changed the perception of what was adornment so looking at the period that shells were currency so it was very much obviously a sign of affluence but it was also showing that the human animal is the only animal that actually adorns itself for whatever reasons whether it's status pleasure joy or just because they feel good. You're talking about this, a shell being a currency, and um, w- do you think it was only certain members of a community that would? Do you think it was an indication, a symbol, symbolic indication of wealth? Or do you think people were just you see, when using you, when, their environment to make themselves look pretty? You see, when we go to history that's known, like ancient Rome or ancient Greece or Egypt and things like that, and I'll just go off on a tangent about ancient Egypt, which I find absolutely fascinating. The most precious material in ancient Egypt was silver. Silver was worth 20 or 30 times the value of gold. Gold was considered costume jewelry. So when you look at somebody like uh, Tutankhamun's tomb, which we look at as absolutely extraordinary and it's gold and it's precious, in fact, it was the costume jewelry of the day. So gold was a cheap material. All of the stones are actually uh, reproductions. So they're all synthetic stones made to look like gemstones. So the gold in that period was really cheap. And silver, and you find very rare artifacts from ancient Egypt with a little bit of silver and a lot of gold because silver was so precious and so rare. So when you go back to cultures that have got a history, we can look at and say, yes, I mean, when you look at diamonds in India, uh, depending on your caste system, so your lowest castes were allowed to wear black and uh, then you, you went up to brown, yellow, and then clear diamonds for the Maharajas and the top castes. So... In his, in reg- registered history, we can always look back and say, okay, that's how it worked. When you go back to something that's 70,000 years old, it's really a matter of just surmising and looking at the way that they were put together. And they were found in a line around the neck of a, um, a fossil, for lack of a better term. But then that brings you to the concept of our modern term of the word necklace. So neck, you, you, we all know the neck is the neck, right. but where does the term necklace come from? So lace is an old English term meaning a string or a knot. 
So it was a knot, and in fact, the true term is the hangman's noose. Wow. So That's a far cry, isn't it? <laughs> but that's, that is a knot that goes around the neck. So it's very interesting because with modern history, we can always uh, pull it out and uh, run it through. So we've got a necklace, and I know also rings that were are from Roman time, and well, it was used on a different finger because that connected you to your heart. Okay, so the reason that we use what we call the engagement finger, which is on the left hand, is that the ancient Romans believed that that was the 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 vein that went directly yes. to the heart. But the history of engagement rings or wedding rings, as we know today, actually comes from Cleopatra and Mark Antony wow. because rings were not a um, – a, they were an Egyptian thing, not a Roman thing. And Mark Antony came back to Rome wearing a promise ring from Cleopatra, and that's how rings became fashionable because rings were actually a very functional piece of jewelry. It was a way of keeping your seal together so that you could actually because you didn't have signatures and writing so what you would do is you would have your seal which you would put into um, terracotta or whatever surface you were signing to create um, to, to prove that it was you who was uh, signing the document so the first rings were really seal rings and they were made from a stone or a faience that was carved with your insignia and then usually wrapped with string and later made out of metal so um, obviously all jewelry has its history and we, we're looking quite heavily on Egyptian, uh, which looks like a lot of stuff originated from. But y- yes. No, no, no. It's, it's just, it's just really exciting when you start scratching uh, the surface. Yes. And I mean, that being said, I don't know if you've not been following, but last, Last week they announced that they found a new tomb in uh, in Egypt, wow. which was undisturbed. So there's so much learning to to go from from Egypt because they did write down everything. When we go back to prehistoric Africa and just to go go back to those shells, um, we look at the environment that people have, and they obviously use what what's given to them. And I know things like ostrich eggshells. Yes, were also used as adornment. Um, uh, you, the ostrich egg again. shells were, were a very, very – anybody who's ever tried to cut an ostrich egg will know that it is a very, very complicated, very uh, – it's, it's an amazing art because the skill needed to turn those beads, in those shells into beads, and when you look at the shells, they're so perfectly formed and – the, the materials that we have today were not available. So they had to use rocks and stones to drill and to cu- curve them round. So historically, they are incredible. But that gives us a segue into the history of uh, beads and Africa. So the original, the first beads ever found in Africa were brought across by the Japanese who came in a little sailing boat and they traded beads for a giraffe. So you've got historical fact of a single giraffe in the zoo in Japan, but you've also found up in uh, northern Mozambique the beads that were originally traded with the Japanese. So that was the first access to beads. Then beads developed, and the um, Venetians, because they didn't have big marble slabs to use as ballasts of the ships. They had glass, so they made glass beads. So glass beads were never designed to be traded originally. They were just because you can have one person with a shovel working the ballasts rather than four people moving sheets of marble, which was the traditional ballasts of a ship. 
the as they got to port, so they would offload, but they'd find that they could actually trade with these beads. So the bead cultures run around the outside of Africa, certain places in South America, and the bead cultures are entrenched from the Venetian Empire. But that being said, it's a very interesting, and if you ever get a chance to get to the British Museum in London, they've got sheets of original, they were, the beads were made in the Czech Republic, but they were traded by the, um, the English traders, and they've actually listed different beads for slaves, different beads for ivory, to actually show how the trading and the value of beads, because they were not easily produced and not something part of African culture, which they had become part of African culture, is so entrenched. I think my last question to you, and unfortunately um, the time has gone so quickly, Kevin, you use African art as your inspiration. Yes. And you work specifically with Ndebele art. Yes. And when we look at African history, how do you differentiate art from craft? Oh, that's the million-dollar <laughs> question. The reality is is that art and craft are defined very clearly. Art is thought process and non-functional. Craft is functional objects. So when you look at something like a Zulu headrest and you see those incredible carvings, it's those carvings are designed to keep the ancestors happy, to protect you, to stop your dreams uh, from being bad, or your milk churners so that the milk doesn't turn, so your, your milk your, will be perfectly coming out fresh. So that's the definition of craft. The reality is, is that the skills of people have developed and with exposure. So when you're looking at craft in an environment where it's made traditionally in a style for a, for a reason, then that I define as craft. As soon as people get exposure and start cre- and start personalizing the art to another, the craft to another level, it then becomes art because when you look at art, art is defined by have, ha- having a huge skill and a thought process. So I would define it as, as art and then segueing into my work, the thought processes behind the pieces that I make is not just aesthetic, but it's got, it's got a, a story and a history that will define where where it's coming from and my sh- my uh, shells my necklace of shells would that be art or craft um that my 75,000 75, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't referring to something I'm wearing right now yes um <laughs> that we've suddenly exchanged over the yeah, table yeah no no no, no. <laughs> um your next necklace of shells would be considered craft because it was a functional piece of you know it's like a string of pearls will be considered a craft piece, whereas something that's, you know, an interesting pearl with a, I mean, I made a wonderful platinum snake head with some interesting pearls that looked like snake vertebra. So that becomes, for me, an art uh, piece. So um, you, I know you are creating art. I know that uh, your brooch was seen on the Queen Mother, and we are all extremely uh, the proud queen. of The Queen. The Queen. Yes. The Queen. Yes. Wow. That was very, very exciting. And that also was obviously inspired by South African and African kind of... Well, the, the, the brief was something that was um, that came from uh, from Botswana, actually. So we went for one of their national products, being the, uh, the wheat or the millet. Amazing. 
Kevin, thank you so much for taking thank the time you. to come and, in. And if I may take advantage, we are exhibiting at the Maslow uh, Fair this weekend. So if anybody wants to come down and have a look. Pop in. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Kevin Friedman, renowned jeweler.